This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, this is Nolan North, and you're listening to the Ninja Turtle Power Hour. Why wouldn't you? Take it from me, Raphael from TMNT. Go back to 2007. We'll save our brother, and then we'll save New York City. Or, of course, you may listen to the Krang, because the Krang know that you should listen to Turtles, Turtles, and Turtle Power Hour. Go listen, Krang. Welcome to the Ninja Turtle Power Hour. I'm Spencer Toon. I'm Cody Tuckett. Yeah, a little bit more energy than that, Cody Tuckett. What? Listen, and I'm still. Mike Templeton. Yeah, I went there. <laughs> I didn't hear what you went, where you went. So, was I quiet? No, I was talking over you. I mean, I Mike, you always have a way of making like you just doubt, you make me doubt myself, and I just feel like <laughs> everything was wrong. <laughs> Well, yeah, you got you got to you got to fill Keith's shoes tonight, so it's a big uh, big step up for you. I'm low key Kmart Mike. Okay, blue light uh, special. Everybody relax. You're gonna get a no, good deal. You're part. You're part of the gang. You're part of the gang. Uh, Spencer, what are we doing tonight? Tonight, well, first, you know, we we must recognize Keith's absence, and uh, he is missed. Uh, hopefully, he'll be back on the show. Uh, sooner rather than later, but for now he has taken a leave of absence. Uh, but tonight we're going to be covering the last half of the Lost Years, the last Ronin. So that will be issues four, the special issue Lost Day, and issue number five. What a way to kind of cap off this, you know, six-part miniseries. Like, it, 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 I didn't expect as much to happen in this that, that it did. And it, it yeah. really does, like, like Tom Walton said, like this really does feel like the Rogue One of this universe. Yeah. Well, and, and the cool thing about, I don't know, there's a lot of people I've seen, like, it's kind of surprised me how many people on the internet kind of asked, like, is this just a cash grab or is this, you know, whatever, which I imagine, you know, is them trying to ask if it's like this soulless thing well, that was just put out there and no one cared. They just want to make more money off of the last Ronin. Everything is a cash grab. Yes. They, they do want to make more money off of the last Ronin. However, is this story worth reading and worth being told? Yes. Uh, and, and they still care about this and, and they did care while writing it. It's still a passion project for Kevin Eastman and everyone that's working on it. And, and it fleshed out things that were laid out, kind of back in the last Ronin that we had little hints to in Michelangelo's backstory, but that we never actually got to see. And we got to see all of that stuff uh, carried out in here and get to see Michelangelo's journey 
to before he faces Iroka Hiroto. And, and it makes me want to read The Last Ronin again. True, I was actually just thinking that, like, it's a good, like, lead-in, because then there's fresh. And it also, like, it touches... I don't think it's acknowledged enough, like, because it's, like, it's advertised as, like, oh, this is Mikey's backstory, and then you get the next generation of Turtles. But there's also a fair deal of, like, what was going on when, like, all the brothers were still alive and, and like, some of their adventures. You get, like, pretty good bits of that. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is while reading it, like, I just feel like issue one is going to hurt a lot more now uh, of The Last Ronin after reading this because you're going to, like, see the journey and him being totally ready for this and then absolutely failing and letting everyone down without even reaching Hiroto, you know? Yeah, I would argue if people think The Last Ronin is dark, The Lost Years is way, way darker. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I would agree there, yeah. But before we uh, give, get too much into that, let's uh, cover our first segment, Let Me Tell You a Story. Alrighty, so are we... Sorry, we can edit this out or leave it in. Are we officially acknowledging that I was right in the reading order? We're going for no. Lost Day 5. Uh, that's once that's we what we're read, doing. Once we read it in the podcast, that's the official canon reading order. I, I forgot who said what. <laughs> we're going for Lost Day 5. That's the way it is on Comixology, and that's the way it makes sense to me. So that's Let's what we're going go! <laughs> the Ancient One did tell me a story I think you guys would want to hear about Master Splinter's master, Hamato Yoshi. Well, let's hear it! The Lost Years Issue 4 is my issue. This was released June 28, 2023. We have writers Kevin Eastman and Tom Waltz. The then pencils are done by S.L. Gallant. Inks by Maria Keen. The now pencils and inks are done by Ben Bishop. Splinter's Journal is done by Kevin Eastman. Colorist Luis Antonio Delgado. Letterer Sean Lee. Editorial assistant is Nicholas Nino. Associate editor Taya Chuk. Editor... Charles Beecham. We open with the then story. Mikey is in a Ukrainian dome cage, a kill or be killed situation. We flash forward to the now story. The next gen turtles are infiltrating some kind of Sinja fortress. Odin and Moja take out the Sinja guards. E is kitted out in high tech gear, including purple goggles trying to hijack the door. Uno decides it's taking way too long, switches to black, and kicks the door down to find a captured April. Immediately he takes a headshot, and his brother and sisters are shot too. All dead. The end. Or it would be, but the shooter was actually Casey Marie. The bullets were paintballs. This was a training exercise, and the turtles have failed. The singes are mannequins they've built. Odin feels bad for the singe that lost his head to make it. Casey Marie speaks to Uno about his hastiness. He was supposed to be rear security, but blew their cover. If he'd had stuck to the plan, they'd all have had a fighting chance. She tells him when they were invading Roosevelt Island to fight Baxter Stockman, she broke from the plan to help Michelangelo. When he was in trouble, she saved him. Mikey scolded her for having terrible discipline, excellent initiative, and to never do it again. Even though she saved him, she could have put the other resistant soldiers in danger. She got lucky that nobody was killed. Uno is the best fighter of the four turtles and has always been a natural, but is a poor teammate. His brothers and sisters handled their part of the plan, Odin and Moja taking out the Sinjas, E being a whiz with gadgets. They were counting on Uno to have their sixes. By not trusting them, he let the whole team down. Uno needs to learn to sacrifice his ego as Master Splinter once taught. Lesson learned, they pick up their training gear, including an adorable April O'Neil puppet. We go back to the then story. 
After three years fighting in the cages, Mikey, the Turtle Titan, is in the final match for his freedom, pitted against his only friend, his blood brother, the spectacular Shaka, the heroic human champion. It's kill or be killed. Mikey contemplates all he has lost, his real brothers, his father, his closest friends, his little heart sister, and now, his blood brother. Too late to stop now, he says, and the fight begins. But in the milliseconds before the first blows are dealt, he flashes back through his life. The story of his life has always been too late. Too late for Raph, too late for Leo, Casey, April, Fugitoid, too late for Donnie and Master Splinter, too late for Jarrell. When he tried to escape all his tragedy, he was still too late. Always more troubles already waiting. They all had the same name, Deathworm, a man without a face. We see how he was eventually shocked into submission by Deathworm's goons and captured, taken away in a truck, haunted by all his failures and the ghost of his friends and family. He's taken to the stronghold of Abigail Finn, or Boss Finn. A microbomb is planted in Mikey's neck to kill him if he tries to run away, and he learns he is now a gladiator and will have to fight for survival in the cages against other mutants. Mikey is in a pathetic state when he is approached by a human from another cage. His mysterious friends explains how he has now one choice, to give up or stand up and fight. The man introduces himself as Shaka. Shaka gives Mikey a tour. Their new home is somewhere in Kazakhstan. They've all been separated into two groups, humans and monsters. Shaka is a human. Mikey explains that all the monsters are actually mutants like him. Mutants is a term Shaka has never heard before. Human or mutant, they are all forced to fight to the death. The only escape is by winning Boss Finn's tournament. All the goons have Deathworm's tattoo, so it's clear he is truly in charge, but after nine years of dealing only with goons, Mikey isn't sure Deathworm actually exists. Shaka informs him that he very much does. Shaka was a former professional mixed martial arts fighter from South Africa. Deathworm's goons kidnapped him one night after a bout in Korea. He made the one choice that made sense, fight for freedom. Names are randomly drawn, humans fight humans, and mutant fight mutants. Rumor is they will soon be moving west to the final fight in Ukraine, the last human versus the last mutant, the winner getting the big prize of freedom. For Shaka, freedom means he can hunt down and kill Deathworm. The Ghost Brothers explain Mikey's problem. He's made oaths, and now he has to decide if he has the heart to keep them. Turns out, he does. He kills and kills, and he wins and wins, even though he is increasingly haunted by it. Shaka does likewise, wins and wins, kills and kills. They slowly become better friends, sharing more of their pasts. We learn that over the years, it's now come down to one remaining human and one remaining mutant. Mikey and Shaka will fight to the death. We cut to Mikey and Shaka fighting in the arena. Two friends put on a horrific show for the audience. In the end, Mikey cannot bring himself to kill Shaka. Shaka tells him he doesn't have to. Asking Mikey to promise that when he is free and gets his pound of flesh, he'll get some for Shaka too. Shaka then throws his axe through the cage at Boss Finn, cutting into her arm. Boss Finn orders Shaka be killed and his neck bomb explodes to Mikey's horror. To be concluded. Before it concludes, we're going to take a little side trip uh, in The Last Ronin Lost Day. Written by Kevin Eastman and Tom Waltz. The pencils for some pages is by Freddie Williams. Some pages by the Escorza Brothers. And some pages by Ben Bishop. Inks by Kevin, the Escorza Brothers, and Ben Bishop as well. And uh, Luis Antonio Delgado on colors. Sean Lee in letters. Uh, Nicholas Nino as, and Charles Beecham on editing. Uh, and uh, Taya Chuk. April recounts her 60 plus years living in New York City and how resilient uh, she has been in all of that time, getting four, uh, f- giving her four brothers a husband and all the trials and tribulations that living in New York uh, over all this time has been. 
Now, years later, she has even more in her life with four grandchildren now. We're all at the moment causing a ruckus. Moja has found some of Donnie's old cassette tapes and wants to check them out, but Uno keeps pestering her to train in kendo, as, she, as he says that she's the only one who could almost keep up with him. April tells Uno to use all the pent-up energy on something that he can do solo, like 100 push-ups. Uno likes this idea, and so does Moja, as she can now explore her treasures in peace. But then they're interrupted by Yi, being exasperated at Odin, playing chess wrong. He just wants the horses to gallop together instead of going by the rules. Giving Yi something to do that doesn't involve getting frustrated at her brother, April asks her to fix her coffee machine again. Just as April's handled the day's interruptions, her own daughter comes in, finding her dress for her date with Jiro Watanabe ludicrous. April tells her that Casey's supposed to go on her first date, not the prom. April's advice is to just be herself and not worry about it. Casey thanks her mom for watching the kids instead of Casey thanks her mom for watching the kids instead of doing her normal black market run like she normally does on that day, and then she leaves. No sooner than seconds after she's gone, Odin already misses her. But April has other plans, as she intends to go on her black market run with the kids anyway. April writes in her journal describing how the black market works in the present day. When Oroko Hirodo took over New York, currency was replaced by a digital social credit-based Fortunately, the resistance and pretty much everybody who wasn't insanely pro-Foot Clan were basically left with a social credit rating worth nothing. Since then, the resistance developed a black market barter system where if you bought the right person the right good, they would give you what you wanted in return. Nobody was better at getting what you wanted than the man known as Tinker Smith Sr. Like April, he was a single parent to a daughter, one Tinker Smith II, or known as Tinker II. Tinker Sr. has hoarded tons of goods, but the prices were always what most would think was fair. Unfortunately, Tinker Sr. was killed in what has become known as the Foot Flood when the Resistance knocked out all of the power to Baxter Stockman's tech on Roosevelt Island when they flooded back in the last Ronin main book. And much of his enterprise was lost. Thus, even though she took over for her father's operations, Tinker 2 was driven more than a little mad and has held a grudge against April, blaming her for her father's death. April and the Turtles approach Tinker 2's security system, and Tinker asks who's with her. April replies that they're her grandchildren, and Tinker becomes intrigued. When they arrive, he's fascinated by all of Tinker's wares. Tinker asks if Casey Marie married a lizard, and April says no, they're turtles, and introduces them to her. Despite her animosity towards April, Tinker takes a shine to the grandkids. Then April produces her part of the barter, a VHS copy of Tommy Boy, Tinker's favorite movie which her previous coffee was washed out during the flood. Tinker hands over her part of the, the barter, then asks Moja if she wants to watch it with her. Moja excitedly accepts, but April says that they've got to keep the kids on schedule, leaving Tinker to watch the movie all on her lonesome. April details the subject of their next stop, the Purple Dragons. The dragons have always been a nuisance to the turtles, but once Raphael was killed and the truce with the foot was completely severed, Splinter knew he had to make a bargain that would recruit in a steady stream of soldiers to deal with the Foot Clan, and thus made a deal with the dragons. However, after Hiroto's death, the dragons went back to their old ways, and their dangerous new leader, Scuzzball, made things tough to keep cordial. As they approach the dragon's hideout, April tells the turtles not to be scared. When the girls seem to have no problem with breaching the surface, April guesses that they've been sneaking out secretly on all this time. 
Oja goes on to explain, but April stops her, telling her that she can get the, the story another time and is glad that they're good at keeping secrets because what they're doing today would absolutely infuriate Casey. Just as April pokes her head out of the sewer, she has a gun pointed in her face. Chachi, Bonzo, and Monarch all stop her and tell her that Scuzzball's no longer in charge, breaking their black market bargain. April tries to break the tension, but Chachi thinks that since she brought Ninja, she's ready for a fight. And Uno suddenly pops out of the sewer and attacks Chachi. And Odin stops Monarch and Bonzo from retaliating by bowling them over. As Bonzo gets up, Moja knocks him back down, and April stomps on Monarch's blade before she can get to it, breaking it with her prosthetic foot. Just then, the dragon's new leader, Jigsaw, suddenly arrives, and based on his demeanor, April deduces that he's a former soldier. He dismisses his goons that the turtles had beat and says he knows all about Casey and April. Jigsaw leads April and the turtles into their compound, where Jigsaw decides to honor the barter that he had set with, Su- with Scuzzball, despite the fact that the latter had lost their special election to him. The parcel that she got from Tinker turns out to be a record player needle. Jigsaw can't figure out how to properly attach it to his player, but Yi steps in and does it for him. He gives April the dragon's end of the barter and, and warns that even if they were cordial today, he can't promise in the future that they will be with their clan. April and the Turtles make their last bartering stop to crooked New York detectives Dick Miller and Frank Corbin. They were swindlers of the highest order back when Hirodo took over and had their fingers in everybody's pies which is why the Turtles couldn't really make a move on getting them taken out, because that meant that they would also the prime sources for intel. During Hiroto's reign, they couldn't operate as freely, so they took security jobs at a speakeasy, where they continued their grift. After Hiroto was disposed of, the NYPD was taking pretty much anybody that they could with experience, so Miller and Cor- Corburn returned back to their old tricks. When April's and the Turtles roll up to Dick and Frank, she chastises Corbin for drinking on the job, she introduces her grandkids to the detectives and Corbin drops that he knows that Casey Marie is out on a date with Officer Watanabe, demonstrating just how well connected the two still are. Miller then brings up to April that Joe Hades, an old mob boss that she and the Turtles had clashed with before the foot took him out, seemed to be back in charge. April tells him that the Purple Dragons have the same thing going on with their new leader and Corbin says that they know about Jigsaw. But as much of a threat he is, Haiti and the Mafia are by far something bigger to watch out for. Miller demands that they're stashed for the barter, and she gives him a box of donuts that are supposed to be the best in town. Miller hands over the last box for the barter chain and warns April about the contents. The end game of April's barter chain approaches, and she's attending the retirement party of Resistance Commander Avalone, who was the one who helped her get back on her feet and trained her and led the resistance alongside her when she was rescued from the explosion that claimed Leo and Casey Sr.'s lives. This man was her closest ally, friend, and mentor since she lost her second family, and she needed something special to commemorate him. She introduces the turtles to Avalone, who is familiar with them by April's stories, but is meeting them for the first time. She opens the package that she got from Miller, and it contains scores of fireworks, telling her friend that she intends to send his career off with a bang. Elsewhere, Casey and Jiro are walking around on their date. Parts of April journal, April's journal talk about that this has been what Casey Sr. used to call a lost day. A day where you can get away from the violence, the hectic life, and just be normal. Happy even. She misses Casey greatly and hopes that she can honor him with days like today. Jiro says that he'd like to hang out with Casey Marie more, and she says that she'd like that. And off in the distance, they spy some fireworks lighting up the sky the end and that 
leads us to my issue. Finally, we return now to Michelangelo to see what his fate will be. So my issue, number five of The Last Road of the Lost Years, was released August 2nd of 2023. And the team working on this is the same as the last two books. So Michelangelo is set free and given his weapons. Boss Finn even gives him the location of Deathworm, seeing it as a death sentence for him. Michelangelo. Mikey now leaves for Rome, Italy, since that's where Deathworm is. Deathworm is set up in the Roman Colosseum itself. The Ronin begins his assault by surprising them with smoke bombs and mowing down Deathworm's men until a large man says that's enough. Michelangelo turns to him, ready to finish this once and for all. However, Michelangelo kills him more easily than he expected. It's only then that a much smaller man is revealed to be the actual Deathworm. He is a much more challenging opponent, and it takes Mikey's. He is a much more challenging opponent, and it takes all of Mikey's past years of training to overcome and kill him. Now it's time to return to New York and avenge his family. In the now portion of the story, the new generation of turtles have completed their training with Casey. Each are given their weapons and reminded that their names mean that despite being four, they are one. It's time to take the streets. The end. That was much shorter than my recap. Yeah, I, w- I was wondering if like I just spaced out through time or if just that was snappy. I, I I just got the I got the main points of the story across. I mean, <laughs> this portion of the story it's it's very well paced because it, and it makes you feel like the emotions and everything you're supposed to feel for it. And and but at the end of the day, like not a lot happened in it. It is also but like a in lot a good way. Scenes too. So yeah, it's, it's a, a lot, lot of fight scenes. Well, all right. Second time around. Hey, uh, nice junk. All righty. So in issue four, uh, the dummy looks like April O'Neil from the 1987 series. Yeah, it was very fun. Uh, it was also very like, like, like a almost like a Muppets reference too, because it was like very, like the 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 puppety version of that. Uh, so. We're introduced in this issue to Abigail Finn, mm-hmm. who is a loose adaptation of a character from 2003. Yep. In the 2003 series, she is a cryptozoologist, essentially, uh, trying to go out and hunt monsters and capture them. Uh, and she's kind of obsessed with it. She also has an assistant in that called Parker, and she refers to a guy in, for sure, in issue five. As Parker he tells him to give Mikey back his stuff, mm. uh, so that that's another. That reference. Good, I watched. Hmm? I was I'm, no, I'm agreeing with you. That was a good. That was a good deep cut. Yeah, Man, is it like a rule with like TMNT creators that they have to pull out the deep cuts? That's I mean, I I really well, appreciate it. That's part of what makes that's part of what makes like IDW so fun is that like it's seeing how they adapt stuff that we've seen before. And it's interesting because, like, I don't know the 2003 series super well, so it's like they do stuff where it's like, like to me, I'm like, oh, that just that fits so well. It's a great character, and then you realize it's actually like a deep cut they pulled. So it's something that's like they're never going out of their way to be like, this is this is a deep cut. You got to notice. You got to notice. They're just like well, so natural and smooth with it. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is, is that it, it works because in the in the cartoon she's trying to capture monsters and hunt monsters. Uh, you know, and in that, it's so that she can prove to the world that they exist and she can make an incredible scientific discovery. 
in this, she's the leader of these people capturing mutants to have them fight in cages and cage matches. So, you know, it's a little different, but the basic concept of her being a monster hunter, a mutant hunter, is kind of there and still intact. Was, was she Australian in 2003 as well? Yes, she has an Australian accent in that oh, as well. So perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I like that she's a big buff woman. Yes, and she's just like that in the 2003 she's series as like well. That. Yeah, I'm looking at a picture of her right now. So that that's, I mean, like that, like stuff like that is really cool because, like Cody said, like you know, if you're reading this for the first time, like you're not gonna know that. Like if you've never seen 2003, you're not gonna know that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like for fans like Spencer, that's like that's a really cool, you know, Easter egg for like for longtime fans like that. I, I can't. We talked about it last week. Uh, but there was a line from like Dave Filoni who worked, you know, who's doing all the Star Wars shows and stuff. Um, he had, he had said something like, um, when the when the old expanded universe was like decanonized, like to him it was never canon anyway. But he uh-huh. knew, but he knew how much fans loved it, and so when he bring when he's looking at adding stuff to his universe, you know, in clone wars and rebels and now Ahsoka, um, he, he very much is like, what is already, what already exists and can I make it work in my show? And it's like, that's, that's such a good attitude to have. Cause it's like, you know, you're, you're doing that for, for your fans. And it's like, Dave Filoni's not perfect. Like I got a lot of issues with him, uh, when he's writing, but he, but he does know, how to do fan service. So, um, yeah, see, well, and, and so just adapting that to what I was, what we were saying earlier about how like IDW is so good at mining like TMNT for things to like introduce in a new way. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like, that's a huge strength, um, for, for, you know, for Tom and everybody doing this. Yeah, well, that's one of the other things that I love about IDW is that it, once again, like it pulls from everything. It's not, they don't just go, oh, 87 was the most popular. We're only going to pull characters from that. Or, oh, the 1990 quotes or, or characters from that and, and nothing else. Like they, they look at all of it as a whole and they pull stuff from everything, whether it's adventures, like, you know, the Ninja Turtles Adventures comics or the 2003 series. You know, hopefully now that time has gone on, they can even pull some things from the 2012 series. Yeah. Uh, you know, there, there, there's plenty of things there. But it's really cool that they do that. Uh, and and as, as someone who's, you know, a fan of the 03 series, and it feels like it often gets overlooked, you know, you never get toys or other things like that made of that series like the other ones do. It's awesome to be able to read these comics and, and have a bone thrown to you, you know? <laughs> I mean, we're at least approaching a time where it's 20 years old old man and now they yeah. can start mining the nostalgia for that <laughs> if if they find it as a big enough market to do so that's that's the big question it, it's probably still just most profitable to to take stuff from like the 87 uh, era oh boy from the 90s but anyway another great reference though to the 03 series is that Michael Michelangelo's uh, cage name is Turtle Titan I I got to that page and I was like Spencer's gonna love this. That one I knew too. I was like, oh, I have mixed feelings on it because Turtle Titan is something that like 
It is something that specifically brings me joy, and it's Michelangelo's. Love it, and it's I I do love it. I do love it. It, it, It's it's his superhero identity, but the cage match stuff is like so dark and sad that it like it almost feels like a a perverse use of the name. I don't know. Uh, Yeah, kind of a little bit, but but I I'm happy about it. It makes me happy uh, to to see it referenced. But I, I would love to see it as his superhero alter ego again. Maybe NECA will do like a Turtle Titan variant. I, I, would, I would genuinely love that. I would love a Turtle Titan costumed Michelangelo figure. I, cool. I, yeah, I mean, they have the, the old original ones, and, and someone in our, yeah, our Discord, uh, that our Discord that was very, like very 25 bucks or something. Yeah, you know, right? I think I'd get it loose because I, I'm going to pull it out and play with it and, and mess with it. I don't want to pay. You'd forty five well, bucks for something that I'm gonna that I'm gonna mess up anyway, you know. <laughs> let's see. let's let's go to uh, eBay. Anyway, uh, the other thing that we uh, we talked last time about the turtles getting their their names from different countries, and and we said it was ones that Michelangelo did, and one of those is Swahili. Well, Shaka talked about his Swahili heritage yep. with Michelangelo, so that's where Moja's name came from. The Swahili name was Shaka. Yeah. And so, and they, and they do, and they do say, I mean, it's spoiler for, you know, issue five. Um, but like Casey Marie, like very explicitly says, like, it's all, you're all the languages that Michelangelo went to in his journal. So, mm-hmm. you know, where he got Spanish from, like, uh, like, I don't know, like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, see, parts of it, like, parts of that explanation, I think, are it's kind of, like, it's a little too neat. Um, but, you know, if he kept a good journal, I guess, you know, anything. Like, the Swahili there. comes from Shaka. He went up into that area that speaks Russia, Kazakhstan, or well, something I mean, like that. Well, I mean, technically, like, they're fighting in Ukraine, because Odin is also Ukrainian. I mean... Uh, Odin, yeah. Uh, isn't, isn't one... Uno in Italian as well. Oh, it could be. Cause, uh, I just reminds me like, uh, my friend and I, like years ago, um, we, we went to Disney world. Um, and we went to like the Italian pavilion in, um, Italy. Uno is one in Italian. It says, see, there you go. Uh, let me finish my story real quick. He is so my friend's Mexican and like, you know, speaks fluent Spanish. And it was just funny. Cause like we were in the Italian pavilion and he started talking to somebody from Italy. Cause they like have, they like, I don't want to say they, they import people like college students from those countries to work at Disney world. Uh-huh. And he was talking in Spanish to somebody in Italian. And he, that was the first time he had told me like, uh, he's like, Oh, he's like the limit. He's like, the languages are a little similar. It's like, you can kind of, you can kind of parse out what you're saying to each other. And so ever since then, that's like stuck with me. So there you go. Uno in Italian instead of Spanish. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense, actually. I mean, they're both Latin-based languages, so it's like, yeah, yeah that makes sense. No, like it's, it's just un in French, and I don't know what it is in Portuguese, but, you know, those are all pretty, they're all pretty similar. Makes sense. Yeah. Good catch, Mike. Ooh, I w- I wonder if Turtlepedia updated Uno. 
No, it still says Spanish for one on Turtlepedia, so maybe they well, didn't update that. I don't know. Wrong. It's it's Italian. A bunch, bunch of hacks. Yeah, Debunked a bunch of hacks. On the Ninja Turtle Power Hour. <laughs> but uh, that's that's it for my notes on the second time around. Like in general? Uh, no, sorry, not in general. First and foremost, my best. <laughs> I was like, all right, Cody, do you got anything for uh, issue four? Um, just that, like Abigail reminds me of Rhea Ripley. That's it. <laughs> uh, who I'm not a wrestling guy, but I love Rhea Ripley so much. She's cool. Also, like Junker Queen from Overwatch too. So get that get that vibe from her. If you if you play Overwatch, I don't know it that well. Is that Overwatch uh, yeah. Two or? Yeah, Overwatch Two. Like not Overwatch. Also, Overwatch Two, the game. Yeah, I I only played the original one a while ago, just a little bit on someone else's computer when they let me try it, and that's kind of been the yeah, it's pretty, pretty, much, I, pretty much my experience. I still torture myself and play that game occasionally. And as a proper edge lord, I played Reaper for that brief period of time because you know. There you go. Of course. You <laughs> uh, all right. So the Lost Day special. Um, That's a mean. Tommy one. Boy. Tommy Boy exists in this in this universe. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, and again, this is the kind of thing where it's like I just always assume every universe, unless said otherwise, is our universe. Am I alone in that? I just literally no. Like that. it's. I mean, it, it's it's always weird to see like what some like comic book universes will um, include. Like nine eleven happened in this New York. Yeah. It's... So like that was, and that's something like you don't really see too often in comics. Um, I, I feel like also by the same token, like nine um, eleven is such a big deal. It's almost. Well, it it was twenty years ago now. Not included, right? It's not. It's not. It's not that it's like shocking to see it. It's more. It's more like the reason why like they don't do it in comics so often, or at least like superhero comics, is because it's like you can. Then it just brings up the question: Is like why didn't the superheroes stop it? Yeah. Why why didn't Superman stop the? Yeah. Yeah. Did they address that directly in Superman? No, because like. It okay, didn't because yeah. it didn't happen because it didn't happen in DC. But like Marvel, they didn't did it know, in I was Marvel. Just thing, like they they had to like fight to like keep it in there, and because there, there was like Wonder Woman was like consoling Superman. Uh I've never seen that. I, I know either. I've seen. Uh, I know I've seen like the Marvel book where it's like Doctor Doom is even literally helping dig out people at nine eleven or at the World Trade Center. Hmm. But yeah, it's like, but, but, and even then it's like that, that came out, that issue came out as like an emotional response because like, you know, a lot of Marvel characters are in New York. So they're kind of in a damned if you do damned if you don't position. Cause it's like, you kind of have to address it because you use New York as your backdrop. Well, um, and Marvel always says that, you know, it's the world outside your window kind of thing. Like, yeah, that's kind and of, their, so their like, and so like for the turtles, like, you know, this is a universe where sometimes there's superheroes and sometimes there's not. So it's like it, 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 you can kind of skirt the line there, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. it's just funny that it like nine 11 happened 
in the Ronin universe, but we don't know if it happened in the main universe. Are, this is not related. Are you playing with something or like typing? Yeah, I'm playing with something. <laughs> I'm sorry. I fidget. I fidget. That's fine. I just, I just imagined you like, as you're doing all this like serious talk, you're also like posing an action figure frantically I'm, or something. I have a, so I, I have like, I have like transformers on my desk and I, I transform them back and forth. Makes sense. And that's, Makes that's, sense. that's my fidget spinner. Makes sense. Uh, no, so I'm sorry. Awful. I'm sorry. I do it so close <laughs> to the microphone. I, I put it down. I won't do that. Anymore. Sorry, that was just like itching at my. Brain. No, I, I know, and I know sometimes it, it comes up on the audio, so I, I need to stop doing that or get a quieter transformer. That's what we need: quiet transformers. Yeah, that's yeah, what we like need. The, like quiet, like, tra- like transformers. Cube? Transformers are a great like fidget toy. What transformer is it? Uh, it's the Legacy Blaster that came out last year. I was hoping it would be Beast Wars, so... No, I was never a Beast Wars guy. I'm not even that really big of a Transformers guy. Like, I, I have some characters that I like. The only one that I ever collected the whole line for was uh, Transformers Animated, mm-hmm. which I love that show so much, but I sold off that collection years ago. Dang, that's sad. I've never sold off any of my stuff. Uh, I go through it. I... I I got a box full of stuff that I'm prepping to sell right now. So. Um, anyway, back, yeah, to, back the comic. to the Yeah. So some of the purple dragons designs that they show in here, they look, I don't know. They, they just remind me of the 2003 series, especially there's like a guy that has like, like a, like a cyan blue hair. That's like up over his head. Like, like it's like a high top kind of looking thing, but like splays out to the sides. Uh, very, very like kind of '90s Street Fighter-y looking, almost kind of thing going on. Yeah, uh, but like that's that's a hairstyle I'm pretty sure I've seen in in the 2003 series, and I just I just liked the overall look of, it, but it kind of reminded, like I said, it reminded me of the 03 series in there. The I like because there's like a Spider-Man there. looking guy in the back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I kept yeah. I kept it like looking really closely at a lot of these things in the background to see if I could, see and most of the time I didn't turn up with much, but. Yeah, I was looking for that too. Ever since like the last issue, as I was looking for like stuff they've snuck in. Um, well, yeah, like ever since like the the main Ronin book, like we knew like a version of Venus and Kino existed in the future. So it's like now they've trained us to look for these references. I yep. do hope as this goes on, like it would be so cool if they work in characters. Like here is, you know, the Rat King of this universe or whatnot. Yeah. I think that would just be so cool if they go there. Kind of like um like in like Old Man Logan, you get to see how like other Marvel characters ended up. I always love stuff like that. So I I would love like I hope they work that into issues, which I I have to imagine they would cuz how do you how do you resist something that awesome? But I liked yeah. uh some of some of the other purple dragons with um with Avalon. Uh one of them's got like a mouser head yeah. for a helmet mm-hmm. one has like a kind of like like almost it's like a sinja helmet yeah it's, it's, it's like it's like a like, like top half of a sinja head like yeah the weapon x water tank vibes yeah did you guys notice that the undercover cops names are dick miller and frank corbin which if you switch them is frank miller and dick is short for richard richard corbin 
I get it. I'm just a child. I was just like figured that was a reference, but no, I did not think about switching the names. Yeah. So Frank Miller, of course, massive inspiration for Ninja Turtles. And so Richard Corbin is an artist that worked on the actual Mirage series. He did a guest era issue. The, the turtles take time story. That was him. He's also done a lot of art in Hellboy. Uh, he's kind of known for being a more underground-ish artist, but very very influential for, for comic books, and he passed away actually not that long ago. Oh, bummer. Who's the, gosh, who's the guy, like the current leader of the Purple Dragons in front of the Mouser guys? Um, I can't find Jigsaw. Name. Jigsaw. He's Carl Lewis. That's. Oh, Carl yeah, Lewis. that's that's 100%. Or, no, Carl Weathers. Carl Weathers. Who's Carl yeah. Lewis? Carl Weathers, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's 100% Carl Weathers from Predator. Yeah, and you know what, Spencer? Actually, now that you pointed out, um, that is straight up, even just not just the name, the look, that is 100% Frank Miller. Oh, they even made him why. look like him. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know why. I don't know what Frank Miller actually looks like. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what he looks like. Huh. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, with the hat, the giant hat. Yeah, yeah especially like, in like the, the first scene where he's like smoking by the building. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, that was all I got for the Lost Day special. Uh, other yeah, than too. like, we know April's uh, 60 ish and the turtles are now 13. Yeah, or almost 13 because I think Odin says he's like almost. Well, Odin can't count, so. Hey. I also in um like the I looked at like the fireworks. So one's called like a Hirodo bomb. Um one is called Last Waltz. Which yeah. Oh, the donuts, (laughs) the donuts that they give uh, Corbin and Miller are yum yum donuts. Uh, They're young. They're yum yum brand donuts from Secret of the Use. Yeah, the worst Turtles movie. So, hey, represent. And then also, um, we've mentioned this in previous uh, episodes about the last Ronin, but Avalone is a friend of Tom Waltz. He's, I think he was another editor over at IDW. Uh, could have been a writer. But he was around there. And then the other commander, um, I didn't write it down. Oh, what's her name? Avalone. Uh, the, new, the new one? Zaragoza? Zaragoza, yeah. So that's another name you'll see pop up, and that's Tom Waltz's wife's maiden name. So, Zaragoza. Yeah, because he confirmed that one with us on Twitter uh, at one point because we were like, all right, we figured out who Avalon is. I remember when we asked that. I remember when we asked that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, we mentioned that way back when in the last round, but, you know, I'll bring it up again because why not? Fun fact. All right. Issue five. Uh, The only thing I have here is what I mentioned earlier that, uh, you know, the assistant guy that she tells Mikey to give back his weapons that Finn, uh, boss Finn tells to give Mikey back his weapons is Parker. And that was also her assistant in the TV series. He looks nothing like the character in the TV series. Cause I watched the episode today, uh, to prep for this. Uh, and, uh, uh yeah. the only thing I had was that the iconic last Ronin jacket comes from the fake death worm. Yes. Yeah, 
yeah. And and kind of his pants too. Like it looks like he like he talks about stealing looked, the jacket, but his pants kind of have like a similar thing going on. At least the knee pads. Yeah, the knee pads. But it's kind of that's kind of I mean I guess it fits for the last Ronin, but that's pretty morbid to like take his jacket after he killed well, him. I mean that that's like a that's like a thing. Like, you know, take the like old Western trope, take the jacket of the <laughs> or the boots of the man you killed. Yeah, haven't you ever played Red Dead? Yeah, exactly. No, I have it actually. Oh, you should. It's one of the best games of all time. But it's cool, and that's also like you know, um, the his his famous EMP tonfas were previously, uh, like a death worm gear too. Really, so yeah. So really, the last Ronin is really the last death worm member, if you think about it. Kind of, kind of messed up. Kind of messed up. He spends all this years. Bit of a stretch. Like, Bit of a stretch there. No, no, because like he has like he has like death like it's like deathworm clan gear, right? So he has their weapons, yeah. he has their clothes, and now he's walking around as like a living embody of the deathworm that terrorized him for like ten years. That's you know what? Twisted. You're you're uh, you know what? Everything you just said is uh, going in anchovies. So Pepe Silva, who is Pepe Silva? Yeah, who is Pepe no, Silva? Like the Tongas. <laughs> everything you just, everything I'm, I'm, I'm calling an anchovy on everything you just said. So how, like, what, what is wrong about it? But speaking of, let's go to Ange- another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Anchovies. No anchovies. You put anchovies on this thing and you're in big trouble, okay? I call legend Uh My anchovy is Mike Templeton. Uh, you can't, you can't anchovy. Did it. You can't, you, you can't, can't anchovy the person anchovy. who anchovied you. Can't no. back, you can't back anchovy. <laughs> no, you anchovied the gear. I anchovied you. I anchovied what you said, not the gear. No, but what I said so about I anchovied you. I'm, I'm anchovying you directly, Mike Templeton. You're All very right, Spencer. Insistent. I need you to. We need you okay. to rule. All right, all right, all right. So, so my only anchovy for the first issue. No, 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 no. You got to rule. You got to rule here. Who's right? Me or me or Cody? Oh, this this isn't happening. Uh, no, <laughs> that's me. Uh, <laughs> default. He doesn't want to hurt you, Mike, because your long-standing relationship. Mm-hmm. But you know, he knows I'm right. I... He doesn't want to cause a rift in the podcast. We all let's take it to the Discord, folks in the Discord. Promptly after you listen to this, tell us who is the worst. Who is your anchovy? Just remember, I have all the prizes to mail out to everybody, so this will affect future contests. Just remember, I'll never try to win your love with prizes. <laughs> anyway, Spencer, what was your anchovy? So my anchovy, um, it's like specifically in the context of the last Ronin story of being kind of a more somber, possibly slightly more kind of, for lack of a better term, like realistic take, more grounded take, I guess. I don't know. I don't know how much I like the meta joke in this comic book specifically of like April being the mannequin that they rescue. Like, like it is kind of a fun meta joke, but at the same time, like in the context of the story, if you, the issue is if you think too much about it, even just a little bit, it's like, 
are they straight up saying that April was constantly getting kidnapped in this universe as well, and they constantly had to rescue her? Like, why are they making this specifically of April, and why isn't it a dummy? Well, I think I, it's it's purely because like they don't know any humans at this point, you know. So it's either the choice they're either going to rescue Grammy or Casey Marie. So Casey yeah, like, Marie's like the, not going to make a dummy of herself because that would be weird. So she makes one of her mom for them to rescue. You know, I I, I don't the know. Turtles, the turtles they, love Grammy, so it's like this is a serious mission. You're going to you're fighting for your family. Yeah. I guess that maybe that could help for for like motivation. I guess with with the whole thing, but I, I don't know. To me, it felt like you know the meta joke of the turtles always rescuing April, and so then it was like, but carried over to this into this universe where it's like, oh yeah, she was always getting kidnapped, and so now we're gonna rescue her. I don't know. You know, I mean, when, that's when, true. But also, like even in in this series of issues, like April tells a story where she got in, in over her head and had to be rescued. Yes, and they did rescue her, but it's not like she was like tied to a chair anyway. The the thing is, is <laughs> you justified it enough earlier that I think I can I can live with it even more than that. Because honestly, it was an Aquila isn't that big a deal. That's it for me, though. I don't know that I have an anchovy for issue four. Actually, I think it's pretty solid. Mine is. It kind of goes. It kind of continues on from what we were talking about last week, like SL Gallant and the like narrowing of Mikey's head, <laughs> like how it just keeps becoming more just human, like like in shape. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah, like I mean, there's certain, there, there's certain panels, especially like in the arena, where it's just like a straight. It almost looks like what is it? Morph the version of Morph that has like an all white head yeah exactly like that's where i'm like that's that's what i picture and it's like it it i get that he's like he's trying to like differentiate like mikey and showing like he's his like mutations continuing but it's like it's not coming across like that especially because like when we see him in the last ronin like he's got like a rounder head again and that's just the way the scores is drawn but it's like it it just it looks so weird that I'm just I don't know. It's like it's it's uncomfortable to look at his face. I mean, yeah, it's it's not my favorite look, but I'm kind of used to it this far into the series. I'm kind of able to look past it. Yeah, I don't, I don't really clock that specifically. Now that you pointed out, I can see it. Though it didn't really like. Yeah, I can't unsee it now. So kind of. I mean, ultimately, my... ultimately, his face is able to tell the story with its expressiveness and and things like that, and so. The the art still works, but it's not my favorite style for the look of you know Michelangelo or really any of the turtles. Uh, I think it's pretty sure. Good. Like I do think he like definitely, but it's good art. In, yeah. Like he came into his style pretty well. Yeah, it, it's yeah, definitely I mean, his own every, style. Everybody else looks great, and like Mikey's like body looks great. It's just the head I don't care for. Yeah, no, um, I agree with you. What did you think of the quote unquote other mutants? that we got introduced to like, we didn't see them, but it's like now we they've introduced that other quote unquote mutants exist in this world. Well, yes, they specifically exist because of that whole like nuclear fallout thing from, uh, in China projects. Right. But like Mikey like vouches for them and calls them mutants too. Like we get the explanation in issue five that like, you know, Donnie corrects them in his head that it's not, 
that they're not technically mutants like them. Mm-hmm. Um, but like Mikey in issue four vouches for them. And I just, I, I'm disappointed that we didn't get any more interactions with them. Yeah. yeah. I also think they're all kind of, they're kind of throwaway. They're kind of like, um, yeah, like there weren't any, there weren't any that like I recognized. I did think it would have been funny if that, like that was, they, there was like a, a one, an eye patched cat there. Like in yeah. the background, uh, like yeah, that yeah. would have been the perfect spot for him to show up in. To, to me, but, I think they're too like alien-like for my taste. Um, though it makes sense. Like, I, I think about this a lot when, like, you talk about like when people talk about like how a mutant looks. It's not like it, it makes the most sense. Where like, if something is mutated, it it would look extremely messed up and like wonky. Yeah. But yeah. At the same time, to me, I prefer the mutants that are more straight up like oh that's a that's a bird man <laughs> yeah I, I like a good mix of of all of them uh for me personally um but i i think that the reason why i know that what i took away from the story it was never like explicitly said but the tournament kind of takes place where all the mutants fight we're supposed to be fighting each other and all the humans are supposed to fighting each other and it wasn't until the end that they had the final final human fight each other and so I imagine that Michelangelo did not want to get close to any of the other mutants there because he was yeah. going to have to kill them. Especially you after know. he goes off on a streak, like killing them all. And like you see him in his yeah. like bed, he's all like distraught over it. Yeah. Are we good to move on to the Lost Day? So Lost Day, I, I like it for the most part. Like it's my favorite of the three issues. Um, uh, but it does drag. Yeah. It's it's not a very exciting issue. It's like, it does a lot of great world building and really kind of sets up everything for what we're going to, to know it as. It, you know, I imagine for, for issue two, of, well, for, sorry, not issue two, but the last Ronin two. Re-evolution. But yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of been on the boring side. Like the most exciting part is when it goes to barter with the purple dragons. Well, it, it's a lot of walking, um, yeah. you know, and it's, a, it's a lot of walking and talking and it's, it's, it's a great atmospheric issue. And like you said, like there's a lot of world building in this one. And that's, that's, I mean, that's kind of why it's the special issue and not like part of the series, like in a way, like it's a yeah. spinoff issue or it's a special issue of, um, lost years. So it's like, it, I'm it, really glad they did it. That was a very, yeah. Issue. Like, I like mm-hmm. like I like the issue a lot. Like it, like I said, it's my favorite of the of all six issues that we read. Um, it just it just feels like it went on for so long, and, and it's like reading it, like reading reading the synopsis that I did. <laughs> it's it did like take like twelve and a half hours. It took it took a long time, but it's like so much happened in the book too. Yeah, so much information is given. Yeah that you kind of have to like go over all of it. So, uh, but yeah, that was, that was it. I didn't really have any other issues with, with last, last day. My anchovy is, um, we, we have Freddie Williams on the book, right? And so he did the, like the, the black and white kind of things. And then Kevin Eastman inked it. I, and I get why, but I wish he would have drawn in his classic Freddie Williams style. I didn't even notice it was Freddie Williams. Yeah, he did I the did pencils either. and then Kevin Eastman inked them. So clearly he was going for like Kevin Eastman's kind of 
style in those ones, which is cool. I just wish he would have gone full on Freddie Williams, just just because I I love his style. I like his style a lot too. See, it's weird because it's like when you look at the when you look at the page, it says like art by Kevin. E- oh, never mind. I read that wrong. Cut yeah, that out. It's, yeah, it's, like, um, it's, it's confusing. Like, yeah, and I was like, wondering like if you were gonna go through the credits, like Kevin Eastman inks on page one nine twelve. <laughs> no, like because because like I was looking at all the different pages. Okay, so that even that even throws me off because I was because one of the things I was gonna say I really liked was that. I, I was going to say like, this is some of the best like Kevin Eastman art that I've seen in a long time. So now I'm, <laughs> Damn. now I'm bummed that Sorry, it was like, Kev. it was Freddie Williams <laughs> and with Kevin's inks. I, I just love Kevin's inks. Like Kevin can ink something and just give it that, like those thick lines and that kind of like dirty look that I just, I just love and can, he can do it to any piece and I will instantly love it. Sophie Campbell, Freddie Williams art when Kevin he does the inks on it, like man, it's it's wonderful. That's man, how I strong his so inks stupid. are. It, like it I'm looking, like I'm looking at these pages. I'm looking Mike. at these pages again, and it's like they they look so much like Kevin's art. Yeah, I mean, one of those things that I don't feel like enough people talk about is how much someone's inks can affect a piece and how much it can change it and. Totally. It's just like, oh, this guy drew it, and the inkers don't get as much credit as they should. Same with yeah. like the colors, honestly. Yeah, no colors can like they're some of like my favorite like pieces that Sophie's worked on as far as like issues go. Some a lot of it's because of the color choices, and and I do want to. So one of those things that like I do really really want to ask either a colorist or if we can get Sophie on the show is how much of like the coloring choices is done by the colors themselves and how much is notes from the artist or someone else? Because like, there's a lot of things in Sophie's art, a lot of issues that she did where there's coloring that's very specific to her art style. And I I don't know if it's Sophie saying color it this way, or if it's the colorist saying Sophie's art looks really great when I color it like this. I I just kind of want to know. To know. I would imagine yeah. it's probably pretty free. Because um, I, I feel like, it's, I mean, I'm sure some people in comics are like very dictators, but I, I feel like a lot of the TMNT people, you know, are just like, yeah, go for it. And they're just, they're almost excited to see what people do that they wouldn't have thought of or chose to do. Yeah. Collaborative. Go. In podcast. Uh, all right. Like issue five. Uh, It just kind of ends like the fight, the final fight with death worm that we've been building up to just kind of comes and goes. Yeah. Uh, I, I, kinda, I thought it was like, satisfying. It's anticlimactic, but I also, I, I also love stuff like that. Cause it's also very realistic. Cause like in the real world, a straight punch to the head can kill you, you know? <laughs> so I always kind of love when like, it's not like an epic 40 page fight, you know? And he used the tonfas. Proving again, the tonfas are the deadliest weapon. But yeah, you are right. It just kind of like, doop. Like I, I had to like flip back and forth. And I was like, did I miss a page? Did it not I feel like out? it does kind of feel like, I mean, it, I mean, calling this a Rogue One story, Rogue One ends in a very similar way where it's just like, 
you know, getting on the ship or whatever else to, to go to the next. Uh, well, right. But that, but you're, you're like saying like the battle of Scarif then was over in the blink of an eye and then they hopped on the ship. It's like, no, like the battle of Scarif was like a whole section of the movie. Yeah. I, I guess, it, I guess it is like a brief, his, his final fight with death worm is kind of a brief moment, but, and that is more of an issue of the, comic book being only 20 something pages you know yeah and the, like just the, the very nature of it which by the yeah. way the the lost day special was like 50 pages so. yeah. yeah yeah the lost day special was very long another reason why it was so long to get to get through so yeah one thing i'm noticing as i'm looking through like the end part of it it does look like the countries he goes through to get home are like the name of countries because he starts in ukraine then he's going to Italy. You know, maybe it's China. That he works in there. That's kind of cool. Because there's like a, a Italy boat. Yeah, the boat that says Bernini on it, just like it did in the last Ronin when it showed that boat. And Bernini was almost Donatello's name. Just like, just like Rogue One. Got all those similarities. <laughs> Yep, yep, all the similarities. <laughs> he, he got on he got on the ship at the end. But of the you know, book, like and then... like because yeah, like Rogue One ends with like the chase of the Tant of Four. And then that's right where episode four picks up is the Stark Destroyer chasing Tant of Four. Uh the ship with Leia on it, for people who don't know the name of that ship, because that may not be common knowledge. Uh nobody really likes Star Wars, let's be real. I mean, lots of people like Star Wars, but I do feel like sometimes knowing the exact name of a ship gets a little on the geekier side. Uh, I don't know. It's Star um, Wars. I, lots I of people like, know a lot of Star Wars trivia. Yeah, I feel like Star Wars fans would probably be like the, the one fandom that's like super into that. Yeah. That's, um, that, like that's that kind makes of... me feel like I'm an idiot. Like references like that people catch on. And I just like don't think of it all. Yeah. Um, the other, the, my thing for this final issue is that I kind of wish that the new turtles got different weapons than the old turtles. Uh, you know, it's kind of a nitpicky thing. It's not that big a deal. Like, kind of like just like totally new and wild. Yeah, you know, like like give like one of them like a just different ninja weapons. You know, like a naginata or something like that. You know, big long pole with a blade on the end of it. Uh, that's Johnny's weapon from 2012 as well. He he does have like a, a blade that sprouts out of the end of his, yeah. But it, just that, but you know, not not a sprouting blade or I don't know Tonfa or or just some other things. I think it could be cool just to to differentiate them even more from like the original turtles, you know, because uh, now you're definitely going to associate of them with the other turtle with the turtle before them's personality that had those weapons and that that kind of already existed but the differences well but and, also like you can see like they're they're holding all the weapons so it's not just that like odin is using the nunchucks he still has like the mm -hmm. size and everything so like yeah. they did that as like a cool pose to end it but very clearly they're also saying and casey mentions like they trained them in all the weapons so i think at least yeah. one cool thing they'll be able to do is like switch it up constantly yeah, and they may switch it up constantly, but I'm uh, in most versions they say the turtles are trading all the weapons, have their preferred ones that they like carrying, you know. But we'll see. Yeah, I suspect they'll 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 switch it up a lot. 
I would imagine. But yeah, it would be cool if they just like, like if if one of them had, I don't, I don't know about ninja weapons, but like one of them had a mace, or one of them had just like a hundred throwing stars they use all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't I don't know about, but I I know because you run out of throwing stars, Japanese weapons. They just have like they're just constantly they have this like stock of throwing stars. It's like Legolas, but his his quiver is full of throwing stars, and it's like a gotcha ball where he like spins the thing to get a new one. <laughs> I don't know, but but you know, like that or like the the closet the claws that Jenica has would also be cool. The what are they called? Oh yeah, yeah. They have an official like Japanese name because those are actual ninja weapons. Um, ninja. Is Tekokage? Well, yeah, Tekokage. That's what it is. All right. But yeah. I think that's enough anchovies on this pizza. Yeah, me too. So let's uh, say some nice things now. Oh, I love being a turtle. So issue four is probably the darkest issue of all of the last Ronin series so far, I think. It, it, but it also tells the story really well in in such a short number of pages. Like, there's only, you know, the 20, 25, whatever, 24, 23 pages of story. And I think that it does, paces the whole thing very well, builds his relationship with Shaka, has the whole battle happen and the fight between them. And it's, you know, and, and it kind of hurts when you read it. And it's really sad and it's really, really dark. And uh, I, I like that. <laughs> I mean, like reading it, you knew Shaka was going to die. Yeah. No, you like, knew he was going to die. But it. He, but I, li- I liked him for what like little we had with him. So Exactly. It, it worked to build a relationship with him in that short yeah. period of time. And they also just made Deathworm like just even more despicable, you know, like the, the whole group of the Deathworm people, it just made them like that much more despicable than making them do such an awful thing that yeah. it definitely sets you up to be like, okay, yeah, it's time for this guy to die. Like this is an atrocity. So I, I really liked it for that. I think it was a very well paced and told story. That's sort of kind of what I've liked with, which each with like issue five is kind of the only exception, but each one may kind of have like a little bit that leads into the next issue, like a big a big cliffhanger that's like one single tiny event. But for the most part, each issue tells like a full mini story that's a period of Michelangelo's life yeah. before the last Ronin, and that's that's been cool this whole way reading through it. Uh, issue five, it kind of it, like the end of issue four kind of bleeds into it a little bit longer than previous issues uh, yeah. did. You're kind of starting to cut out, by the way. I don't think you need to repeat anything because it's mostly all there, but. Okay. If there's something that goes on to cause the cutting out, I think it's happening again. Yeah, I need to figure out what that is. I also got to say that I like the way Shaka goes out in this as well. Like the whole, of course, you know, choosing to to die not by trying to kill his friend or or you know killing him, but by just straight up fighting against the man and having Michelangelo go at it. It was a good end. Yeah, though I do wish like he would have done more damage. Uh, to Finn, like obviously, I mean, he can't kill her, or you know, then what does Mikey do and not get his freedom? But if her arm gets like lopped off or something, you know, yeah, I get that you. Been cool. All right, Lost Day. Uh, I thoroughly liked this issue entirely. Like, I, I liked the stories that April was telling. I liked, you know, meeting all the characters. I really liked Tinker too. 
like she seems a lot of fun and I want to see more of her uh, in Reevolution. Yeah, Tinker 2 is a good character. I I, I loved like, everything that this issue introduced. Did you guys catch the Technodrome? Uh, I, I did. did not. It's, it's, it's like not a, the it's Technodrome. Technodrome. Also a Star Wars reference. Yeah, like it's it's like a little like um I mean that I is the like, Technodrome though. That's 100% the Technodrome. I mean it's 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 I it's symbolically like you know it it's a ball with an eyeball I mean, on it. it. I like, mean it not I mean it's not like it's not it's not the technodrome but it is literally a miniature technodrome right like i'm saying like it's not it's not like a it's not like the technodrome like it's canonically not the technodrome or any version of it but you look at i think people will know what i'm saying well that's what yeah well (laughs) we've we literally talked to some people who didn't know scumbug was a woman this like yesterday so we know we don't we don't need sometimes to, you gotta explain we don't things. need to we don't need to accommodate those people sometimes they're you already, gotta accommodate. They're already well, sometimes lost. some people they're you gotta accommodate so nope um it's not the technodrome but it it's is like you look Official. at it and it you and look in, at it and, and it's like and technodrome let's do a, a clickbait article <laughs> i'm definitely not doing that anyway but the, the, the overall world building in this issue is great i mentioned that kind of during anchovies even though it's not an anchovy. Uh, but the world building is is great. Uh, like talking about how Hiroto had instituted like a social credit score system is, is yeah. really neat. Kind of the fascist society that he'd built in New York City and how this whole underground black market was created. All, all of it is just like such good stuff. Like it's just so rich in lore. And I love lore. Everyone knows yeah. how much I love lore. So I agree. Yeah, I also just I love the these new turtles. So any scene with these new turtles in it, I'm I'm here for it. I yeah, like Odin's I, I like Odin's little hat that he wears on yeah, top like of that, his mask. mask thing. I really like how Odin turns like black, like how he does that thing where Uno. he turns black to, Uno. to fight. Uno turns Uno. Black. Sorry, I meant Uno. Did I say yeah, Odin? That is super cool. Like when he knows it's like serious. Yeah, I I think Uno is becoming my favorite of them, and it might specifically be be, be because of that whole turning black thing. <laughs> oh, because because Uno's the edgy one. Place. Got it. Yeah, because he's the edgy. No, Moja's more the edgy one, right? Like, well, I, I do kind of like throughout these issues, like they, they've kind of expanded on all their personalities, so you get to see like different sides of them, you know? Because at first, like. Mm-hmm. You know, Uno's like just like a huge jerk, but slowly throughout these issues, you get to see like he is still ha- like what I thought like when they're doing like April's the mannequin and Casey's talking to him, like the grin on his face, you know, you get to see that he, even though he is like some like, you know, serious ninja guy, he's also like just a kid having fun. So I, I like that they did like work that in there with all of them. Yeah. And it, it was fun to see them like in a real fight, like to finally see them like unleashing yeah. their skills. Yeah, I can't uh, wait yeah. to see them in like full just ninja ninja action in in re-evolution too like do we in, know if re-evolution will have like a time skip after it because we we end these when they're like 15 i wonder if they'll be like 18 i imagine they'd keep them 15 because 15 i think like they're gonna be 15 because they were straight up like it's time to take this to the streets so i think they're gonna be going to the streets here in re-evolution at age 15 yeah that would make sense but like I said, I, I can't wait to see them actually fighting and in combat. It's it's exciting. 
because like we, we did see a little bit with the purple dragons, but you know, I, I want to see the, what there's when there's even bigger stakes. Issue five. Issue five. So I actually think that the final fight is is a satisfying ending. I I, I know that you kind of felt like it ended pretty abruptly, but for me it worked. Uh, it you know he does the whole thing in the fight where it calls back to all of his training that we've seen in the last issue. You know the last four issues. He's able to pull from all those things as he's fighting and use it against Deathworm to be able to kill him. It, it was quick, and it would be cool if we could spend more time on it, but ultimately, you know, these issues can only be so long. And, uh, oh, yeah, and also, it, the time we had it worked. They kind of bring up, like, they kind of, like, like, trick you, where, like, he kills the goon real quick, and you're like, oh, wow, this fight was really quick, you know? So it's like... yeah. Already, they're kind of building up like what a badass Mikey has become. Yeah. Since and it it is kind of funny, like even like for saying like the final fight is too quick. Like already, they've like lampooned that. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, the the final fight did last longer than that first one with the big that's giant true. guy, though, and that's the thing. And but because because Michelangelo was able to like summon his you know skills and strength and and be able to defeat him. Like, it's got you super hyped up for him to go fight Hiroto. Like, Michelangelo is, like, on top of the world right now, which, once again, is just so great to make that. Like, it's what makes me want to read that first issue and just have it be that much more of a punch in the gut after having been with Mikey for the past 15 years across these five issues. And for him to have really felt like he's arrived as, as a warrior and, like, he's ready and then for everything to just go sideways uh, at the beginning of that first issue, like I, I, I need to go read it again. Cause I feel like it'll be that much bigger of a blow. For sure. I do love that. They really like contextualize and justified the EMP Tonfas even more. So you're a fan of those Tonfas. They're cool. They're cool. They're and cool. really you could argue that he didn't need anything else, but the Tonfas. Cause those are really like, you know, it's like, if he was in Mega Man, the Tonfas are what Deathworm is weak to. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> I like that this kind of, I think it was this issue. I can't remember now, but it's like it. If I guess the series as a whole, like really kind of made me question more, like are these ghosts that are talking to Michelangelo or are these in his head? And I think like now reading all of the last, last, uh, lost years, I it I think they're just more in his head than uh than like the ghosts of the turtles. Yeah, for sure. And though though that does have really dark implications cuz Mikey is like wretchedly hard on himself. Yeah. And it's like he's guess, so hard on we, himself. I guess we all are, but he's like yeah, like really like needling himself at every yeah. moment. Well, especially those moments where you see even more than just the turtles following him, you know, and he kind of calls himself like a a parade of death or something along those lines where he's yeah. got, you know, Splinter Kate in Casey and also, I think, was April there Fug- in his mind? Uh, yeah, I think April was there and Fugitoy. Actually, he's haunted by all of them. Um, yeah. So. Which I guess it's good they're not ghosts because if, if they are ghosts, then that means all his family are like huge, huge jerks. <laughs> like... Yeah. But that also that also reminds me of of Hellblazer because Hellblazer that Constantine is constantly followed around by the ghosts of all the people that he's 
sacrificed for the, for the greater good or, or that have died, you know, due to his dabbling in magic. He's haunted by them. But that, oh, that those are literal horrible. ghosts. That would be horrible. Yeah. <laughs> Hellblazer, good comic, good comic. Jamie Delano is the the person who first started it, and his run is good. There's there's very few like I don't know. I I haven't read enough of Hellblazer, I guess, to actually say that there's been very few bad runs of it. But I've I've only I've seen so many people recommend so many different runs of it that I feel like a lot of it it's more good than bad for sure. Alan Moore created Constantine, right? For Swamp Thing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, he first appeared in Swamp Thing. It was created by Alan Moore and then got his own series, Hellblazer, that was written by Jamie Delano. That Swamp Thing arc was so cool. Yeah. All right. So I think that is it for everything uh, yeah. for, the last, for the Lost Years. Uh, yeah. What a great series. Yeah. Like, Having honestly, now read it. Oh, go ahead. If you loved The Last Ronin, there's no reason to not read The Last Ronin Lost Day. Like, and not Lost Day, but the, the Lost Years and Lost Day. You know, that's in there too. But if you loved Last Ronin, it's it's just more of it, and it's yeah told just as skillfully and as well. Is it required reading for the Last Ronin too? I personally don't think it will be. Um, um, I mean, I, I think, think it'll. So. Well, no. It, going back to the Rogue One, you don't have to watch Rogue One to get Episode Four of Star Wars. You can go from Episode Three to Episode Four. I mean, technically, I would argue you can do that with anything, because if any story, it's just, it's just like these issues. Do you have to read issue one to get issue two? Not really. I mean, it's self-contained enough. But I think like it fleshes out um, enough that like, you know, the legacy of Mikey and like how much, you know, he his life and his stuff impacted Casey Marie in April. And then she transferred that onto the baby turtles. And then, of course, you know, you get you get a look into like the baby turtles as well. And so you, you already have like an understanding of their dynamics where it's like, you know, Uno is a bit of an ass to everyone. And he's specifically like needling Odin all the time. And like Moja is kind of like the middle person in a lot of that. Even well, Right. But I'm not saying, I'm not saying that's not important. I'm saying that's not required reading. Like that's all good stuff, but it's like, we didn't need to know how the Death Star plans were stolen. It just mattered that they were stolen. And then at the beginning of the movie, you know, they're, they're stolen, you know? So, I mean, that's, I would, I would that's kind argue of, if it's not required reading, almost nothing is, I don't understand. No, cause that's, that's a, that. that's a, that's a big centrist argument. Like you can't, you can't take the middle on that one. Cause it's like, <laughs> there is stuff, there is stuff that like, you know, I mean, cause yeah, less Ronin is not required reading. If you want to read Last Ronin, there's more to it. That's what we're saying. But in order to understand Last Ronin, no, you don't have to read it. That's what I'm That's saying. True. So I also think it's kind of funny when we're getting to like, do I need to read this? And it's like, it's five issues. In terms of like comics, five issues is literally nothing when it's like, do yeah. I need to read 40 years of Spider-Man to get this next Spider-Man story? Well, and they're <laughs> like, like a- they're, they're like the 21 page issues, you know, like it's not even that long. Uh, yeah. In the yeah exactly like like this this heavy. book this book goes by very quickly like it's it's a it's a heavy book and i don't know if i would recommend reading it all at once because reading reading a lot of these issues back to back is kind of like oh that's a that's a downer um that's, that's interesting this is the honest question when you guys go through stories like that do you honestly feel like the depressive weight of it 
sometimes I, I never do. It it depends. Um, During issue four, I was feeling it. Yeah, issue like issue four, four like really, issue four, like really I heavy. I started reading it. I started reading it after issue three last week, and then I was like, eh, I don't really want to keep going right now. And so it's like I'm kind of glad I had like Lost Day as a palate cleanser a little bit. That's that's so interesting to me because I I never feel that way. So I do, but I'm I'm kind of an emotional guy, so you know. But yeah. <laughs> uh, so check this out. Um, issue five just came out uh, a couple weeks ago. The collected version is out, due out later this year. Um, it probably has a date. I cannot remember what the date is right now. Like November ish. Uh, so yeah, it's like right around the time that the new that uh, Reevolution is coming out. So um, head up to your local comic book store and place a pre-order so that you can do that. Uh, so you can get that trade coming at you. Uh, but with that, let's go into the news. This is April O'Neil of Channel Six. I can't take it. I can't take it. Yeah, Keith, I'm sorry. We're not you. It's All just, right, Spencer, comic book news. Not as good without Keith. Uh, comic book news. So Saturday Morning Adventures number four is coming August 30th. So the day after this podcast is released, as well as the TMNT Street Fighter crossover. That's number three. Issue number three of that series. I have issue two. I need. I really need to read it. Apparently, a bit. A lot of people liked it. So, I, I enjoyed it. And hey, miscellaneous uh, news: uh, the turtles uh, are going to be getting their hands dipped in cement, uh, famously at the TCL Chinese Theater in Hollywood. Uh, they'll be joining the likes of other famous people who have had their handprints and footprints uh, put in like the iconic cement blocks in front of the, the movie theater, like Marilyn Monroe and Frank Sinatra and C3PO and R2D2. Uh, so this is going to be on September 7th. Uh, Kevin Eastman will be there as well as Brian Robbins, the CEO of Paramount and Nickelodeon um, to do this whole thing. It's going to be televised probably, <laughs> probably on YouTube. It'll definitely be on the team and socials. Um, don't know which versions of the turtles will show up there. Probably the new mutant mayhem costumes from the Jim Henson company that they got that look really good. And that's what I imagine it'll be. I don't think they're going to be pulling out like the nineties Henson suits. <laughs> yeah, uh, what if I mean, most of those are rated. Most of those are rotted away anyway. So they did a print of their weapons. It'll be interesting to see like, you know, like how are because, because those are, you know, felt costume so it's like you're gonna be putting that in cement that's gonna be that's gonna be interesting but i guess yeah, they did I it mean, for like they did they it for kermit years ago so in a lab they've been point. growing synthetic turtle skin they've been growing a turtle hand actually ah, gotcha <laughs> the best they'll science look, has culminated <laughs> they'll probably have some sort of like special plastic or something that they have for a hand and for just specifically for that or something i don't yeah, know we'll see We'll All see. right, guys, but that is going to do it for this week of the Ninja Turtle Power Hour. Spencer, what are we doing next week? So next week, we will be covering episodes one, two, and three of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Next Mutation. Whoa, The Next Mutation? 
Yep, we're That's starting our next mutation coverage. Oh, uh, totally threw me for a loop there. All right, so that is East Meets West Parts 1, 2, and 3. Is there a fourth part to that? It's a five-part uh, opening. Uh, well, whatever. All right. We're, we're <laughs> yeah, yeah we're you should have planned that. I'm surprised you did it, but uh, all right. So that is going to be our episode for <laughs> next week. Uh, <laughs> uh, thank you again, everybody, to uh, listening for listening to another episode of the Ninja Turtle Power Hour. Uh, this one went a little long because there was a lot going on in these issues. Um, and we really appreciate you listening all the way to the very end. Uh, every week so we really appreciate it thank you so much everybody um we love you and take care that's our show this week thank you again so much for listening and until next time cowabunga dudes booyakasha hot soup Time inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. About the, <laughs> oh, that was incredible bonus content. Oh, I can't wait for everybody to listen to that. Yeah. But, yeah, no, it's this crazy thing where people like hate CGI so much. My biggest example of that, have you seen any of, because you know how like retro games are super popular these days, right? So like they, to make a game retro, they just give it like blocky, heavily pixelated graphics. Mm-hmm. There's been people who pointed out, like, though that's not actually what games looked like. Because if you put pixelated games through a CRT, it doesn't show them as like straight pixels. They're like it it blends them naturally together. Yeah. Um. And so you can see what like artists were actually going for. So like all this whole thing, like, oh, this exact square sharp block thing that you think is retro games was not anything anybody ever saw on like a CRT. And when you go through and like look at it, like it's one hundred percent true because like if you look at games on CRTs, it does like it like blends them together. And yeah, so, I've seen that like, video. Yeah, Cause... ever since people pointed that out, and there's other accounts that do it. Like they show like, oh, this is how Castlevania actually looked. It it makes me. Yeah, there was a account called uh, I think it was CRT Pixels on yeah. Twitter. I mm-hmm. love yeah CRT Pixels. I don't think they post anymore because I had them on notifications. Yeah, um, I'm sure X ruined it for him. <laughs> it's one of them that I, I pointed out points out how like well one of them that I saw pointed out how modern pixel art has like hype hyper contrast between the pixels. And that's not what they did back in the day because it was on a CRT screen. Yeah, kind of like fuzzed didn't... them all together um mm-hmm. and like blended them so it's like oh like it smooths it out. Like because they were you realize how talented people were back then because they were deliberately making the art so it would do that. And so when you see, yeah. like, oh, here's these very sharp square pixels, 
where like people will take old games and like slap it like super square and it's like it, nobody ever looked like that mm-hmm. that's why i actually like in um shredder's revenge one of the filters you can do is like the crt filter which which kind of blurs that and it also curves the screen which is a super neat effect mm. anybody tried that out you can do like you can do like a bunch of like old filters that kind of basically make it look like a crappy old game. Yeah, no, I, I use it depends because like there there are some where it's really good and then and others where it's like not so good. Um, yeah. But the uh, I, I can't remember if I've tried the one on on Shredder's Revenge. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Like it does. Like even just like the curve effect is cool because you remember like you forget how like when you were a kid like certain parts of the game would bleed off the screen just because it literally just like curves off you know so it cuts things off yeah Mm -hmm. and you just like remember a time where like now with hd tvs it's it's so exact and it's like yeah there was if you had a tv it could (laughs) very well just not show you certain parts of the game going on Hmm. i know that with like uh, like, i don't know if the cowabunga collection has a crt filter i should check that out but I think it's a collection. It it's like per game, so it like depends on the game. You can turn certain things on, which is pretty cool. Mm. Though the only the only game on that collection I've super heavily played because I find a lot of those games too difficult. It's like almost so difficult where they're just not fun. Like Tournament Fighters, which congrats on beating that. Thank you. Um, thank the you. The most I played was uh, Radical Rescue, which is like. It's actually like the precursor to like Metroidvanias because it was made by the Castlevania Symphony of the Night team before they went on to make Symphony of the Night. Yeah, I was I was playing that. I was playing that one. I I didn't finish it though. That's the problem is I keep starting it and then not finishing it. That game's <laughs> super hard. Like once you like understand it and like know the map, you can like brute force your way through it. But getting mm-hmm. like once you get to Super Shredder, he is so punishingly difficult. I had to like do the rewind feature. Mm-hmm. Um. I beat the rest of the game like straight, just like doing it over and over. But once I got to Super Shredder, I was like, "No, I have to, I have to cheat, or I'm going to be doing this for forever." Yeah. But that game's I like I love that game. It's a it's a rare gem. But I can't. I don't think I've beat any of the other games on that, just because they're too hard, man. Somebody yeah. replied, you get a like for using Bebop. All right. Fine, Cody. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> uh, but uh, no, I really I love didn't, I didn't do it. I didn't do it on our account, Spencer. Don't worry. Oh, you're fine. Uh, even if you did, I wasn't too worried about it, but you know. Um, <laughs> I'm proud. I'm proud. It, it's nice to have petty social media vindication. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I love tournament fighters, and so yeah, I pretty much just kind of figured out that I don't know. In my opinion, the best character in that game is probably Donatello. Uh, you can. What difficulty kinda... do you play on? Uh, I did it with the. The one that automatically comes on, which I think is like three or four. Mm-hmm. So that's like the minimum to be able to face Karai. Oh, Jason was, yeah, Jason was telling me about how you guys played together. Yeah, yeah, night. we played together the, yeah, the other night. I kind of just threw on the, on the Discord because I was 
I didn't have anything to do that day. It was just kind of like, hey, if anyone's on, uh, I'm down to clown. And Were you uh, each other, or? Yeah. Yeah, so we reversed each other online, and man, he's he's good. He kind of started, like, remembering special moves, and I realized that I only know a very few special moves of the few characters I don't have them on memorized. But Are you generally, like, a fighting game person, or? Yeah. I, I mean, I am. I, I really like 2D fighters. I love playing them. I'm not good at them. Uh, I, I will not. I will not argue that I'm like super good at them. I was beating him at first, and then he like it was all coming back to him, and he got back into his groove, and then he was just kind of like just whomping on me for the rest of the time. So, <laughs> how do you feel about the best fighting game ever made, Clay Fighters '63 and a third? I don't think I've played that one. I've played one of the Clay Fighters though. In the, in the fighting game community, it's widely recognized as the best that there ever will be or can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, know it's all... it's like still at Evo to this day. That would yeah. be so cool. <laughs> if I could lock everybody into a, like a fake reality of my control, that would be one of the things I would do. One of my one of my favorite things to do is find footage from like the biggest fighting game tournament, which is Combo Breaker. And there are people who play tournament fighters at Combo Breaker. And so you can watch tournament fighters tournaments there. And I've just, never heard of Combo Breaker. Me? Well, I don't know. It's supposed to be a really big one that has like any fighting game you can think of. You know, maybe I, was like, I don't think it's as, I don't think it's as big as Evo. You know, it's probably not as big as Evo. But like I'm saying that like it's it's specifically fighting games, nothing else. And loads and loads of fighting games are there. You know, so the, there's tournament fighters tournaments that you can go compete in. And so I've watched mm. things from Combo Breaker of people playing tournament fighters and just realizing how much I suck at that game as I've been watching them play it. It's like a modded version, too, where they get to pick different skin mm. colors and things like that for their characters. There are no mods for Cowabunga Collection on. No, this is, <clears> this is before the Cowabunga Collection existed. No, I, I know. I'm just looking oh. back out in the collection. Ah. But yeah, no, if you ever want to just like realize what you can actually do in tournament fighters, uh, you know, if you, I don't know, are talented, uh, just, just for look some up reason, tournament fighters tournaments. <laughs> for some reason, I just can't. Combos just never cement in my brain. I don't know what it is like. Like, and I like I like like Smash Brothers because it's more accessible. Mm -hmm. um, but as soon as it gets to the point where it's like people are basically doing combos, like that that part of the meta, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. out. And, and they're just yeah. like completely in the air on the edge of the stages, like off the edge and underneath it, and still like surviving. Yeah, that's that's next level stuff that I I don't get either. Yeah, there was a very it's... brief time I was pretty good with Mega Man, and those days are gone. His mod even has fast forward skins for Shredder's Revenge. That's cool. Ooh. How do you feel about fast forward, Spencer? I was the right age for fast forward. Uh, when it was happening, I loved it. Uh, was so Peter I still Laird have. Still involved for that? I don't think he... he was that involved in it anymore at that point. Uh, he could have been a little bit, but I don't think he was. Was he involved like for like Return to the Sewer? No, I, I think I think it was after season four he was kind of out. Like that's when they adapted all the comic books. There's a lot of like when when we get to watching it, you'll notice in season four 
that that's where the episodes got like the edgiest. It seemed like it seems like they said, "Okay, we've told the stories we want to tell. How far do you think we can push this?" That's what season four feels like in in some degrees, and I, and I kind of love it for that. Uh, the resident edge lord. That's the yes, yes, as the as the <laughs> resident edge lord on the on the podcast. But they, they do great episodes with it, like um, Insane in the Membrane with Baxter Stockman. That is a fantastic episode. Uh, and it's not insane because... Insane in the Membrane. Insane in the Membrane. But it's not because it's edgy. Like, you know, I mean, it needs to be for, like, the, the story that they have. And I guess that does play an element in it because it's kind of like a body horror thing. But at I the think- same time, it's a good just story about Baxter Stockman. And, and his backs, like his history as a person. The whole like darkness in comics or cartoons is an interesting thing. And it'll actually, it'll come up in these, in our issues today. Because um, people have, people talk about like, oh, let's do like an edgy dark TMNT where they go full bore. You know? Mm-hmm. And as much as it is, it's, it's cool on some level to like see certain things like in these in these issues you see mikey going like full blast on dudes yeah yeah but I, I still like like i think it's nice when you write a story and you're like kind of like unfiltered and you have the freedom to go there but i'm also like a firm believer that like you can still tell those stories without like blatantly going there and so it's like when people say like oh they're gonna adapt the last ronin it's like they can very easily just like not have like a dude getting stabbed in the head directly, you know. And you're, but you're at not the like same you're time. not necessarily you're not losing anything necessarily. Um I don't, you know that there is some level of and granted like I don't like it when it starts getting like too over the top and too grotesque. But there's something about a little gratuitous violence that that is Did you, you ever watch Particus? <laughs> I have not. I, I did. I wonder if you would like Spartacus Blood and Sand. Like I don't I don't know how you feel about like I mean did you did you watch 300? No, I haven't seen 300 either. I haven't seen mm. a lot of things. I don't know. I I I I have watched, you know, like Daredevil on Netflix, so like the Punisher prison fight scene. Like that's Dare, pretty brutal. Daredevil uh, on Netflix. Season 1 of Daredevil was actually done by the same guy who who was in charge of Spartacus. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, so like like that does I don't know, it definitely does kind of push the envelope. I don't know how much I love that. But at the same I I also like the Mortal Kombat games. Like but it, it's so over the top that it's also like it gets super cool, but at the same time kind of funny. Uh like there's, there's a, a scene in Spartacus where a guy's head gets like cut in half and you see his his brain slide out. <laughs> where it's like it's like so ridiculous that it's like that's not even gory at that point. That's almost comedy because yeah, yeah, it's like like it's like Mortal Kombat, right? You kind of do have to wonder, um, you know. There's certain this is a weird angle to take, but there, I I wonder like how much of like there's certain things that would happen in real life that don't feel real, and I wonder how much of it is like our brains and our psyches that are just like we we can't tolerate that, you know. And you just kind of like write it off as like, oh, that could never be a thing. Mm-hmm. Where, like, you know, if your if your head did get chopped in half, that probably would happen. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that the last Ronin has gone so 
over the top with some of this stuff, especially like in some of these issues, that we could end up seeing him in Mortal Kombat as a DLC. Oh, 100%. I don't think Mortal Kombat. <clears throat> like, I don't know. Well, because like, I, I don't, how, how I don't did they handle mean... the turtles in? Well, in, in Injustice, did Injustice have gore or was it more? A little bit. Like, it's got only like just like, like tiny spurts. Like, you'll maybe see like a few like red pixels and that's about it. Uh, it gets a little bit more brutal with some things, like like when uh, Harley Quinn's uh, hyenas maul you for her special move. Like there's like a little bit of blood there. When Raph sighs, stab into the person's chest during his super move. There's like a little tiny, tiny bit of blood there, but it's very minimal. Because they could totally go there. Like even in these issues, these Losters issues, like there are dudes getting like straight up like stabbed through the yeah, face. like like yeah, size through their heads. Yeah, so they could totally do that. I don't. I don't think it, it's kind of weird because, like, obviously, like, and you know, we've talked about this before. People are like, oh, Nickelodeon is going to censor the Last Ronin. When who do you think like made the Last Ronin? Um, or at least let it happen, approved it, gave it the thumbs up, and said, yes, this is, you're good, you know? Yeah, I mean, if they didn't want it to happen, it it would not have happened, yeah. right? Um, yeah. So I, I do wonder, and because it's not, and it's also, it's not like, like, these are giant, like, worldwide conglomerate companies. They don't have, like, morals or values. Like, they want money. So all the decisions they make, it's not because they, they care to censor anything, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, like, if if they could make a billion dollars showing heads getting lopped off, that's all they would do right um yeah so it's only because they think like this is what's going to make the most money but i could see a point where they would they would say you know like the re- the last ronin is distinct enough that you know we can do that without like hurting the brand image of like the the kids side of team nt i yeah. don't think they necessarily would though i do think it is possible and i think it'd be a smart thing to do if they wanted yep. to you know lock in and really like dominate all facets of turtles well i think part of my theory on why we're also getting continuation of the last ronin and new turtles in it is that i think that straight up in the last ronin universe and these new turtles that aren't like the more recognized part of the brand ninja turtles you know michelangelo and donatello they're going to be able to kill and they're going to be able to do that stuff that nickelodeon doesn't allow the main turtles to do that I had I hadn't thought of that, but that would actually be really cool. Yeah, I I, I think that we may be going there. I'm not you know not 100 percent certain, but you know that seems like this could be the the direction it's headed in. Uh, yeah, I mean, because again, even in these issues, we see the baby turtles getting shot in the head. <laughs> yeah, you know that is a, that is interesting. I mean, I hope the baby turtles take off for multiple reasons. Um. Like I would, I would love it to be a thing where there's like you know, at some <clears> point we have like forty issues of the baby turtles journey. You know, like I would love for it to be that long lasting of a thing. Yeah, yeah, it could it could definitely be really cool. I'm I'm kind of waiting to see. Look, sounds like right now they have a three part story going on, but but yeah, yeah. And my my point is earlier though is if the last run of video game ends up being violent enough, I don't think it will be that big of a stretch to put him in like Mortal Kombat. But also another cool thing would be the Shredder. I, I would dig seeing the Shredder in Mortal Kombat as well. That would be cool. I would imagine the violence level um PG thirteen. I bet. Maybe like a hard PG thirteen. 
but I, I don't think. And it's also like, it's one of the things where it's like he's going to be most of the people because in the last Ronin, he he's rarely actually fighting like humans. I mean, the Lost Years he is, but in the, mm-hmm. by the time he gets the last Ronin, it's like Sinja robots. So, yeah, it is mostly Sinjas. So they don't even. I mean, they could be Which, as violent as they want with robots. Cody, do you have a Sinja figure? I do. Uh, is it double elbowed or no? Double elbowed. Uh, let me see. But the thing is, is in the flashbacks though, there is definitely a lot of of killing of humans. Uh, with Raphael and with with Splinter and Donatello. Um, no, it's single. It's a single elbow. Yep. I mean, it has a ton of movement. You get a little bit more than ninety, but yeah, it's single. What's cool is the arms pop out. Easy. So apparently, there's plans to do, you know, maybe some accessories or something, because the arms are definitely made to easily pull out and switch out. Mm. There's just nothing at the moment to <clears throat> switch them out with. I just don't. I don't know. I don't love the design enough. Like it, it's too generic ninja uh, robot. You know, I can see, I can see coming out of that angle. But when when you actually have it, it is oddly one of their coolest figures, and it has like like great articulation, which like the foot soldiers don't. Um, they yeah, have, like, like three heads. The foot soldiers are disappointing because they're you know the same bodies yeah, they've been using like since twenty sixteen. Yeah, so like it does feel like a very, like their most modern articulation figure, and it is. Like I wasn't expecting to love it as much as I did, but I think it's it's super fun. Um, yeah, I do think the footbot from Last Ronin is going to be way cooler. That's yeah, I got three of those pre-order. There was there was some store that had like a three pack pre-order, and I was like, ooh, I should get that. Oh really? It was like a Muck Time. Oh. Some like local comic store. Um, yeah. Which, I mean, you could just, I don't know if it's like, I think it was like $99, so I guess I could comment. I mean, it's cheaper than Big Bad Toy Store, so. You ever realize you're an idiot where you're like talking about something and you're like, I wonder what that is. And you're in front of your computer to like the world's largest database information. Or like your phone. Yeah. Yeah, the, ooh, yeah, it's a pre-order. It's a foot, it's the foot bought a three of them for $99.99. Which apparently is like twenty dollars off. Yeah, you said a what is it? It's a Muck Time toys. Let me, I can link you. They're pretty cool. I ordered from them before. Um, I don't think their shipping price is nex- necessarily so great. Um, but otherwise, yeah. Special. Ooh, I should do it. I should do it. Yeah. See, like those have double elbows. Yeah, those look pretty rad. I, I do like their their robot look. Yeah, I think that's the the coolest foot soldier design. Like, I wouldn't mind if that became like. Oh, you're gonna pay now. Is it? Yeah. I mean, I I prefer when they're not robots oh, personally because I feel like what's the point of having a ninja clan if none of the ninjas are actually human? It's not I really mean... a ninja clan anymore. It's just an army of robot ninjas. Uh, what if? What if they well, like, separate it down to where like the 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 real like elite ones are the the humans, and then they've just kind of they're outsourcing it, like the grunts. Yeah, being robots, you know, it, it's all right. I don't know. I 
I, I get the purpose of robots and like robots work great for kids cartoons things like that because then you can have the turtles use their weapons and slice and dice and, and it's robots so it's fine but I just feel like your ninja clan isn't quite a ninja clan anymore I think so too but it also like when um, they're robots <laughs> for, for me I kind of have like as, the further you get into the modern day the whole like ninja clan thing starts to become to, to me like a little silly you know, uh, I mean, it's it's been silly from the beginning, but at the same it time, like, like, it's, it's, just it's like, cool and it, I don't know, for me, it works still. I think like it's, it's mainly like their outfits when they're in just like old timey ninja outfits. Uh-huh. Like I could see like if, if they were if the if the footbots were humans and they were just wearing like the cybernetic armor. That's why I think the singes are kind of like a a brilliant compromise where they are like cyborg humanoids mm-hmm. mixed in there. Yeah, so they get kind of like the best of both worlds, and then like the mask cracks, and it's like, oh, there's a human inside. You just killed RoboCop. Um, yeah, I don't no, know, and that's... it's like I'm an ancient Japanese ninja that's kept it going for four thousand years or whatever. You know, that like to me, that's kind of like, eh. I mean, that's part of why though I like the the 2003 series is they have things like the Foot Tech Ninjas, where. You know, they have, like, cloaking devices and stuff that they use on themselves and things like that. Uh, yeah, I think, I think I, yeah, I, I do, I do, like, when they just, they bring it into modernity with stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I think it's super cool. And I might, I don't know, I might have sold myself on this, this damn Amok Time pre-order. So, Amok Time, you need to uh, send us a check for a sponsorship. <laughs> go through, like, they have a Hellboy section and they have a, they have the Hellboy figure I was looking for. New Hellboy game comes out in October. Ooh. Is I've never read Hellboy. Is it like a must read? Uh yeah. It's it's really yeah, good. It's uh, really cool. Mike Mignola has a very unique art style, especially for the book. I'm sure you've I do love a good art style. A good art style. Yeah, I've I've seen the art. Like the art is definitely yeah. all there. Yeah, it's it's great art. Um and yeah, like it, it, I don't know. It's just Hellboy. It's like a horror comic, but like at the same time, Hellboy is like kind of indestructible, and he knows it. Yeah. Uh, and and so he's kind of got like this almost you know burnt out. Uh, you know, this is my day job kind of thing, kind of feel to it. I don't know how how else to put it. Um, did, did um. David Harbour play Hellboy, or is he going to play Hellboy in the future? He he did play Hellboy in the 2019 movie. That's pretty. Which that, is like that one good. It's it's I I still think it's the worst movie ever. Seen, it's it's <laughs> yeah, like it it didn't do well. Um, you know, it a lot of it came off as schlocky, but ironically, like Mike Mignola was more involved with that one than he was with the original one. That well, so tragic. so here's the thing. If you read the Hellboy Omnibuses, right, the movie adapted what takes place in the third book of the Omnibuses. Yeah. But at the same time, it was trying to cover and use and lay the groundwork clear from the very beginning, like issue one. So, like, Trevor Budenholm dies in the first issue. Like, his mentor, whatever, is dead first issue of the comic book. Hellboy's already confronted... Hellboy's already had to kind of confront who he is, uh, 
you know, what his destiny is and things like that and trying to ignore it. Like, all that stuff has been laid out for you for the past Forever Issues. They tried to pack all that into the movie along with this story that takes place with all of that already have been laid out for you forever ago. And so it's just... Are you talking the, the about movie. 2019 or the first one? 2019. Okay. So the 2019 movie is just like endless exposition just packed into this film that occasionally gets interrupted by an action scene. Uh, and it, it's just nonstop. Like there's this one point, and it was like the one where I was like, holy crap, like really? Like who is this lady? So so like he's talking with the this group of like guys that go out to hunt giants that knew Trevor Bruton Homer know him. Cause I don't think he'd even died at this point in the film. He was still alive. Uh, they, anyway, they're, they're giant hunters, but they also want to kill Hellboy and they end up betraying him later. Either way, he's talking to them. And then just like down these stairs just comes this witch lady that just starts talking about the prophecy of what Hellboy's going to be. Just, she just comes out of nowhere, just enters the room, delivers all this exposition about Hellboy being like the bringer of the apocalypse. It's such a bad movie. It's so bad. <laughs> it's, I think it kind of shows just how hard it is to like adapt like a comic series, and if you try mm-hmm. to do like cover too much, or like what yeah. to change, what to pare down. It's, now I kind of want to watch it more. Like there's some movies where like it's so bad it's good, and you can kind of get some entertainment out of it that way. But Hellboy well, just and like 2019 just doesn't even match. It doesn't even match. And like that. David Arbor isn't a bad hellboy though too like he no. he's great yeah no like he he i wouldn't say he's a bad hellboy the, the entire issue is just the writing and the pacing of the whole movie you know it, it's the fact that they tried to jam pack like three omnibuses of comic books into one movie mm. but then they also tried to pull the thing from the first movie where like hellboy instead of being like I don't know, for whatever reason, like, there's that thing that they try and hold on to from the first movie where it's like, oh, he's still, like, a teenager. When that's not really how comic book Hellboy is. Comic book Hellboy is is kind of just, like, I don't know. Nothing is new to him at this point, you know? So, like, nothing phases him. He knows he's indestructible. Like, and he's just very... He just doesn't take crap from anyone, but... You know, in the Del Toro movies, and granted, those movies have, like, a lot of charm to them and everything else, but there's kind of, like, this idea that Hellboy's supposed to still be, like, a teenager. And so they try to carry that over into this movie as well, a little bit. Anyway. You want to know what I think is one of the best comic book movies ever made? Dread. The Rocketeer? Dread. Yeah, Dread's really good. I've been The Rocketeer for a long time. Have you been reading, like, the new Rocketeer stuff from IDW? Like, uh, off and on, I haven't. I've been picking up the new series, but I haven't been reading it. Uh, <laughs> just, what are you doing, Mike? What are you doing? Well, I mean, I buy them to support the book, and then and then I go back and read them afterward. When I, I just when it's all when it's all done. I just imagine that they must be good because there's like a second mini series, or is it continuing ongoing? It's happening now after that first mini series. No, I mean they're they're all they're all like four or five issue mini series. Okay. But still, like they keep coming, so like I feel like that means it must be it's good, like and people are reading War, it. Rocketeer, the Cargo of Doom, Rocketeer, um, Hollywood Horror, um, and then this new one is like, or uh, the Great Race was the last one, and I forget what this one's called. 
maybe they mm-hmm. just really love it and they're just like <clears throat> they're just losing buckets of money but they're like no this this has to be a thing <laughs> well and then and that's the other thing is like the rocketeer there's two licenses for it there's the disney version oh, and really? then there's uh, yeah and then there's the comic book license which is like handled through dave stevens um in the stevens estate interesting uh, and so, like, the difference is, is you look at the, the rocket pack. If it's got two engines, then it's the movie version. If it's got one engine, then it's the, then it's the Dave Stevens Rocketeer. Uh, Den of Thieves is the new one. Hmm. <clears throat> and it's written by Dave, uh, Steve Mooney, who uh, did a really great book a long time ago called... Um, uh, was it uh, Half Past Danger? And it's like it's like a great like Indiana Jones Rocketeer esque book, you know, fighting Nazis. Uh, there was Half Past Danger, uh, Half Past Danger Two, Dead to Rikes, and then I did the kick the Kickstarter for the Christmas special. But. <clears throat> cool. Well, we should probably anyway. get started with the show. Yeah, because I'm getting I'm getting tired. Man. I want to go. Yeah. Alrighty. <clears throat>